everybody, and welcome to another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. I'm your host, Grant Pemberton, and on today's episode, we're interviewing uh, none other than the Stan Frisbee. Uh, his um, his brother's name is is all over uh, media right now because of the recent movie that's come out, and so. Uh, but he's also a friend uh, with Ken, and so Ken, um, I don't know if you want to give him a proper intro as you guys go way back. I do. Yeah, Stan and I. Uh, if my memory holds, we met at Daryl Ballman's home fellowship group back at the Anaheim Vineyard. Uh, boy, this would have been somewhere in the 1980s. And back back in those days, actually, we didn't call them home fellowship groups. We called them kinship groups. <laughs> but Stan was uh, Stan was involved there. And uh, as you noted, Grant, he is uh, Lonnie Frisbee's elder brother. Yes. And um, as you also noted, that we have this new movie that's come out, The Jesus Revolution, which, you know, it's an in- interesting movie. It's it's not actually intended particularly to showcase Lonnie, although there's no way to tell the story of Greg Laurie emerging as what is probably the premier evangelist in America uh, today. Um other than the interaction that he had with Lonnie Frisbee. And so Lonnie is a necessary and very important part of Greg's story. But in fact, the Jesus revolution isn't, it isn't specifically about Lonnie as much as it's about Greg Laurie. Uh, But anyway, um, I thought it would be interesting because there's been a lot of people talking about Lonnie and he was, I mean, he was larger than life when he was alive. And I think he's still larger than life, even though he's not alive. Um, so I thought it would be good to have Stan come on the show and give us some of his own thoughts about what it was like, you know, living through that period and, uh, you know, what some things he's learned in his own observations. And so, um, Stan, welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you very much. I appreciate being here. Stan's also been one of my intercessors for many years since I basically started Orbis Ministries and even back to when I called it Kingdom Fire. He's, he's been one of those people who uh, has been a friend and uh, a prayer supporter in what we're doing through Orbis. Um, you know, Stan, I've got so many things that I could, I could talk about with you with respect to this, but we've got to somehow corral this thing and keep it to podcast length. Um, tell me, tell me, let's start out with you're Lonnie's older brother, and uh, tell us a little bit about your early life with him, the household, uh, what it was like growing up around him, um, and just, you know, how people are always formed in some kind of a context. So tell us a little bit about what that context looked like. Okay. Um, I don't see my name i don't see myself in the green box like he was he said is everything okay 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 so lonnie you're green okay green lonnie and i both were born with club feet okay and lonnie had to have an operation on his left foot and we had to wear cast and correctional shoes okay but uh they were corrected and as we were growing up, um, Lonnie was different than me. His stature was different. He liked, he, uh, 
he made a friend over here in or in Costa Mesa of Farrell. And Farrell would put a bell on his left shoe so that he would think about walking straight. Okay. And she never became a Christian, but she was a lifelong friend and she encouraged his art. So Lonnie was really into art. And uh and uh, my mother and my father were in, were really workers and they really um work oriented and uh and early in life we switched fathers so my my uh, real father ray uh they got divorced when we had stanley lonnie and wesley and uh <clears throat> so there was a divorce and uh and then we got a stepdad named Lyle, and uh, and Lyle had a boy named Larry, and uh, and then mom and dad with Lyle and Jeanette had uh, Bobby and Buddy. So we had. Oh wait a minute, I'm got confused. So Lyle Graham had Scotty and Stephen with Jeanette, and then uh, and Lyle. Lyle had an older son. His name is Larry, Larry Graham. And we had two Graham boys, uh, Stephen Scott. And then um, Lyle's wife married Ray, and they had Bobby and Buddy. So we have stepchildren, real children, half children, like that. Okay. <laughs> so we have a real extended family. And, and Larry was raised by his grandparents. Okay. So Lyle was good for my mother. And they like to go out to eat and dance, okay? So uh, when Lonnie and I were growing up in the junior high, we liked to go to dances. So, so we had dancing in common, okay? And uh, and in, uh, so Lonnie and I were very different. He was like sensitive and and I, I liked to work because I wanted favor with my mom and dad because I was a worker, okay? Lonnie didn't like to work, okay? And so... <laughs> So Lyle didn't care for Lonnie that much because Lonnie wasn't a worker, okay? And so uh, early days, I, I was a dishwasher. I got a whole bunch of jobs and, and hitchhiked to work. Uh, and Lonnie, uh, he, pardon me? Oh, yeah. Lonnie was a dancer on Shebang. At uh, 5 o'clock at dinner time. we would watch Lonnie. He was a uh, a regular on shebang tv show and uh and lonnie and i would dance at, at junior high dances and win the dance contest and then they got tired of us winning so they made us they made us um uh, judges they made us judges so um lonnie ran away at what 15 so lonnie didn't finish high school he ran away at 15 and went to oh he uh eventually got a scholarship from the boys club art scholarship and he went to San Francisco to uh, do art but then somewhere along the line he got into drugs in the 60s everybody was into drugs and right. Lonnie, Lonnie turned me on to everything you can think of except mushrooms and uh, so um I'm trying to think of more before Lonnie. Got, okay. So Lonnie in his early days, wasn't like a Samson. Okay. He was like a regular boy. All right. And he didn't turn to be like a Samson until he had that visitation. 
So uh, Lonnie was in talk with Falls, uh, asked God if you're real. He took off all his clothes. God, are you real? Can you show yourself to me? And he had a visitation from God. God gave him a mantle and showed him the sea with no water, with people needing God. Okay. And Lonnie came back and he was a Christian and uh, he was a Christian and he told everybody about Jesus and he lost all his friends. And then little by little, he's got his friends back. And uh, I'm going to back up a little bit. Uh, in our early days, we had a lady named Jackie that took us to a Pentecostal church. And then we had a grandma that was a Methodist and she would play the piano at church and she would take us once in a while, but we didn't actually go to church. Okay. So we weren't, we were like a heathen family. Okay. Um, so let me see. So Lonnie, are we ready to get connected with Chuck? All right. Are we, are we there? Or do you want to talk about something else? No, this is, uh, this is exactly the kind of stuff I want to talk about. Although I do have a question for you. So you've got this, you know, very mixed family. Yes. Um, do you remember any conversation between yourself and your, uh, your two brothers uh, about, gosh, what's it like that our family's breaking up? Dad's leaving. He's not around. No. And now you've got Lyle coming in. You've got this, you know, new stepfather. Was, was that ever part of the conversation or did you just sort of roll with it? And this is the way it goes. We rolled with it. So um, when mom and dad met, um, they, Lyle and Jeanette, they uh, put us with this lady that takes care of kids. She, we lived with her for a while while they got to know each other. Okay. So uh, I, I, I don't even know how long we were there, but then when they got settled and everything came together, then we became a family, but we never talked about that stuff. Okay. And I was the one that kind of, uh, I'm the oldest. So I needed to take care of the kids because mom is busy working. Lyle was busy working. He was a hot carrier and mom did clean windows and construction sites. She did all kinds of, she did men's work. She wasn't afraid of working. Okay. So, uh, uh, so we didn't talk about that stuff. We met Larry and, uh, then later we met Bobby and Buddy, but it was more like, uh, everybody had something to do, you know, and just don't bother mom and dad because they're working and then they're going out to dinner and going dancing. Okay. <laughs> we were kind of like in the way they loved this, uh, especially mother loved this and she, uh, but they had a lot on their plate. So as the older brother, I kind of had to uh, make sure the kids lined up and, and uh, kind of did my part as the older brother. All right. Wow. Okay. So that's, uh, that's an interesting story. Do you, I mean, this is speculative perhaps, but do you have any sense of how all of that might have contributed to you know, Lonnie dropping out of high school at 15 and entering the drug culture? Yes. Yes. Um, not feeling, well, okay, Lyle didn't care for Lonnie. Lyle didn't like Lonnie, okay, because of the work ethic, okay? And so, um, and he was very close to my mom, 
but uh, uh, I kind of had the favor of the family until, okay, when Stephen Scott came, Lyle didn't want mother to discipline his boys, okay? So uh, we would get a spanking for when we messed up. So we had correction. Uh, Lyle wouldn't let mother correct his children uh, like Stephen Scott. So they became a little bit spoiled, okay? And so they didn't have, and, and go ahead, go ahead. I, I just said I just said a kind of a quiet offstage wow. Wow. But what this is telling me is you've got a tiered family system. Yes. With uh, what you I mean, we would call it rejection today. Right. Uh, but that sense of being out of favor, that's that's really hard on a on a young yeah. on a young kid. I mean, kids kids thrive on being affirmed and you know, being helped along. How old was the family or how old were you and Lonnie when your original family broke up? How old were you guys? Uh, probably, uh, let me see, Wesley. Uh, how old was I when we, when Ray left? What do you think? Oh, you were seven when you divorced. Seven. I was seven. So, Wow. Five and three. Okay. Seven, five, and three. And, and uh, what year was that? Uh, if I was seven, 48, 47, 48, 49, 54. 54. 1954. My dad. So we haven't, so we haven't quite yet at that time hit the, the main thrust of redefining the American family, but it's starting to happen in the post-war era. And 54 is kind of the height of the, no, it's not the height. It's the, it's the tail end of the Korean war, but America is coming apart at the seams. I'm pointing all this out for our listeners because I'm, I'm trying to help them connect the dots on how critically important family is right. um, an intact nuclear family for the, the good development, mental health of, of kids and what might happen when that family breaks up and your family becomes almost a case study of all that can go wrong. And as, you, as you're moving beyond that time frame, you were seven when the family split up in 54, but by the early 1960s, you're in your teens and of course Lonnie's two years behind you um, this is when the era of no-fault divorce is rolling out. And I forget the exact year, but I believe Ronald Reagan signed the first no-fault divorce bill as governor of California. I think it was in 1963. Okay. And so what we really did was you guys become almost a the, the poster children of a family that's 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 being destroyed and the impact that that can have on young people. You did better than Lonnie though. Why do you think that was? Well, the work ethic. Yeah, I had more support from the parents. Because you okay. Because, because of the work ethic. Right. So and it was, was kind of conditional approval, but it was, at least it was approval. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, wow. 
my dad didn't want to go to my uh, grad. He didn't go to my graduation. My dad didn't wild didn't go to my graduation, and he wasn't going to go to our wedding. And my mother said she was going to divorce him if he didn't. Wow. <laughs> How's that? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Huh. All right. Um, well, it tells me that there's <laughs> there was a fair amount of conflict right there. Yeah. Uh, yes. Conflict. Yeah. Lack of love. Yeah. So the I mean, all of these things, you know, we all sort of know this, but rarely do we sit and talk about them in terms of family dynamics and what impact this might have on specific individuals. Um, right. Let's let's segue from this very conflicted and very uh, unusual home with a quite a mixture of you know personalities as you said did you ever notice back then I mean you obviously know the answer now but back then in those early years in the 1950s did you discern that there was anything unusual about Lonnie other than that he seemed to be interested in art um well, he liked people and he, he wanted attention. Okay. I think that's why he danced. Okay. Yeah. And, um, he loved Pharaoh and Pharaoh loved him. So that was a, an extended mother figure. Okay. And, uh, let me see. Hmm. She paid attention to her. Yeah. She, Pharaoh paid attention to Lonnie. So Lonnie needed attention. He was sensitive and needed attention, and uh, but he was a people person, all right. And uh, but we kind of functioned separately as individuals, so um, anyway, that's kind of how it was. But but I loved him, but he was just different than me, right? Right. Yeah, my mother was very art art oriented. She was very creative. So I think we received creativity from our mother. She was always coming up with new ideas and changed the walls. And and uh, she you never could tell what she was going to do. She couldn't <laughs> afford wallpaper. So listen to this. She couldn't afford wallpaper. So our hallway... She painted it black, okay, black, and then white feathers with a roller, and then black, red, and white in her hallway. How's that? Bright red. That's different. Yeah. <laughs> so she was not afraid to do new things. She, she made our, our rug in her house. She worked in construction, and she would get pieces of carpet. So she made a patchwork throughout her whole house carpet. How's that? Yeah, when a piece got dirty, she'd just cut it out and throw it away and put in another piece. Well, I, I guess that's called being resourceful when you don't have a lot of other stuff to work with. But right, that's right. It, it almost becomes a, some sort of prophetic parable of the patchwork life that you had, doesn't it? Yes. It was really clean. The house was clean, and uh, so very what. Very decorated. So and I did macrame for for um, for years in the fire department. I did macrame, 
and and big art macrame with wall hangings and i sold them um but with me throughout our life i would do i would pick something and go at it full force like macrame or pottery and a work so i would woodwork yeah i would i loved uh carpentry so i always had to have an outlet for myself to be creative right huh and as a career you were a fireman that's correct were you a i actually don't know the answer to this one i mean i know a lot of your story but were you a fire chief or were you a lieutenant or what what what, what were you in that world i eventually became a fire captain okay i, okay. I was a I was a fireman, then I was an engineer for a long time, then I was a captain. And I really loved being a captain, okay? And I worked at El Toro Marine Base. I worked for the feds. And, oh, and wow. interest, interesting thing, I didn't like military, and I got drafted into the Army, okay? I hated military. Then <laughs> I get put on a Marine base uh, as a fireman, which is all structured like military. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that Don't interesting? Have a sense of humor sometimes, yes. doesn't? Yeah. All right. So uh, let me ask you a question. You know, you've you've made it clear you guys didn't really have much religious upbringing, right? But you ultimately had some people who tried to draw you towards the faith. Um, Lonnie goes off at fifteen and right. is effectively done with high school. Yes. Um, what? Eventually, though, he becomes this guy who has this crazy spiritual, I don't even know what to call it, presence, magnetism. Um, some people would use the term aura, but I'm trying to avoid that, that word. Uh, but he, there's clearly something different about him. And he had his Takwis Canyon experience at age 17. So it's roughly two years after dropping out of high school. You know, I've often wondered, what was it like to be the younger brothers of Samuel the prophet, or for that matter, Jesus? Uh, because, you know, he had brothers and sisters, and uh, there was something special about him. People knew that right away. What was it like once it started to become apparent? By this time, Lonnie's 17, you're 19. Yes. So you guys aren't exactly living in the same house as as you do when you're growing up because you're starting to differentiate and all that. But nevertheless, you've got this brother who's starting to show all of this spiritual acumen and intuition and gifting and whatever else you want to throw on that. What was that like? How, how, how did you process that in your own mind and in your own emotions? Okay. As soon as I saw what was going on, it was obvious that it was true. It was truth. It was God. Okay, I didn't have any doubt whatsoever, but and Lonnie would try to get everybody he knew saved, and it was his mission in life. Okay, and and so I wasn't ready to give it up yet because we're it's the '60s and we're partying. Okay, so <laughs> and so Lonnie tells my girlfriend, "Do not marry Stan until he becomes a Christian." All right, so then I'm in the army, drafted, and. Uh, and Lonnie, okay, so so what happens is I'm getting almost getting busted for drugs. And and I, I decide I have a, a Bible in my field jacket and I'm not a Christian. 
that Lonnie gave me. And I have tracks in my in my locker in the in the barracks that Lonnie sent me. Okay. I'm not a Christian. All right. So <laughs> I'm about ready to get busted for drugs and get the Bible out. If you get me out of this one, so this is like let's make a deal. If yeah. you get me out of this one, I'll become a Christian. So that's how I got saved. All right. And so then uh I was in the army. So the only the only church they had there was a Lutheran church. So I went to the Lutheran church and I was stealing Bibles and giving them the people in the barracks. And, uh, and, uh, the, the pastor's wife found out she was all shocked. Yeah. And the pastor, uh, was kind of happy that I was evangelizing and he loaned me his station wagon to pick people up and to bring them to church. Well, that was my Robin hood ministry and I had to give it up. <laughs> I mean, I don't think this was funny at the time. I'm sure it was very painful and awkward, but hearing you talk about it, this almost sounds like a sitcom. I know. There's something else. So I needed spirit. I needed action because of Lonnie, you know. So in the evening at the at the uh Lutheran church, some black guys would show up and they would sing and dance and all that stuff, like a give each other sermons so i hung out with them because i needed my holy ghost fix okay all right that's it with that <laughs> so you got you got your fix from these visiting black guys at the yes. lutheran church yes and you end up eventually uh drawn into this whole move of god called the jesus movement but later you end up at the vineyard was that were there some like bridges to cross and some leaps yes. that you had to go through so this is this is what happened um i became a christian did my uh calling for two years and uh and then something happened i don't know what i kind of faded away and was a pew warmer for 25 years in the Lutheran church. Okay. Diane, and about ready to die of my spirituality. Okay. Just <laughs> sitting there for 25 years. All right. <laughs> I'm, I don't mean to laugh, but it's just so, it, it, I mean, it is. It's like a sitcom. 25 years, nothing's going on. Yes. And all of a sudden, something's about to happen, and your entire world is going to change. Right. And that's phase one of my salvation. There's a phase two, but we might want to talk about Calvary. Okay. So Lonnie uh, was hitchhiking, got picked up by Chuck Smith's daughter's boyfriend. And uh, he was hitchhiking to witness to whoever picked him up. This in Costa Mesa. Then uh, John picked up and he was picking up a hitchhiker to witness to the peer person he picked up. Okay. Then when he found out he's a hippie, he took him to Chuck's house and they met. And then Lonnie moved into Chuck's house, brought his wife there. And they spent a while baptizing people in the pool. And then, and then uh, Chuck got the blue top. Okay. So, um, and then we met the, where Lonnie and Connie lived and we met the love song and all that stuff. And in the early days, the love song was the best group of all the groups. And Lonnie would have Wednesday night at the little Calvary, little country church as a town. And uh, we met the love song. We met all the other groups, children of the day. There was about five groups, 
but the best was the love song. And Lonnie would use the love song. He'd use a couple groups on Wednesday night, and then he'd bring in the love song. So, and they would be as good as the Beatles and the natural. Okay. And that little church had windows on the side and the, the church was so overpacked on a Wednesday that they, they sit outside with a speaker and look through the walls, through the windows. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, and the hippies came in and the, the regular people were going, what's going on? You know, it was like crazy. And Lonnie would have this place packed out and he would say, it'd call for salvation. And all these people get up and go forward. And I'm thinking, how come all these people that aren't Christians are going to, going to church? <laughs> so I want to go to phase two of my salvation. Okay. All right. All right. So <clears throat> Lonnie was in Africa, and uh, my brother Scotty, the littlest one, worked with me, got money, bought a Volkswagen, then went up to uh, to my mom and dad's house. They called it LJ Ranch in Idlewild, and uh, they would go up there to kind of sober up because everybody had drug problems, everybody. And uh, and uh, let me see. So so um, so Scotty's up there. And they know he's got a drinking problem and they're they're having a party. They're trying to cut Scotty off from drinking and he's stealing people's drinks and drinking it. And so then at about two or three in the morning, he gets in this Volkswagen and they try to block him from leaving. And he goes around him and he says, you guys don't know how to party. So then he goes and probably passes out and crashes into a wall, gets out of his car and dies. OK. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, dies. And so then Lonnie wasn't there and I had to work. I had to do all the things to, for the arrangement for the funeral. And and back then, um, back then we were at Set Free, the biker church. Yeah. Bill sure. Aguilar. And so yeah. Bill Aguilar, three people in my family got saved at Set Free. My, my Lyle got saved. Steve and Scott got saved at the biker church. Okay. And uh, so Scott, uh, Phil Aguilar did the funeral and they played a song by Bob Dylan pressing on at, at putting uh, Scotty in the grave. And that took me to brokenness. And I cried for three days and then I rededicated myself to the Lord and uh, picked up my calling. And, and then I started, uh, um, then my gifting started kicking in. Phase two of my salvation, my gifting started kicking in. And Lonnie picked out uh, a book for me to read, and it was uh, Elijah Task. And it was written by uh, John Sanford. And uh, so I read it, and I wore it out. It's got tape on it. The pages are falling out. And there was a lot of warfare. What I found out is when you're doing something the Lord wants you to do, the enemy doesn't want you to do it. And so you have Yeah, that's right. And I learned about warfare from Lonnie. He said, the church that isn't experiencing warfare is not taking territory for the Lord. It's not going anywhere. So the warfare lets you know that you're on the right track. So don't give up when you have warfare because it's a sign. And then I bought Elijah Task again, okay? And, uh, and, and I read it again and marked it. And then I compared the markings after I've been mature, I matured from the first book. So I did that. And then uh, what I did was I started, I used uh, Rick Joyner, Two Trees in the Garden, and I used Rick Joyner for my foundational spiritual walk, 
Okay. So I read everything of Rick Joyner. Boom, 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 everything. And then I started reading other books like uh, The Seer and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Needless Casualties of War having to do with John Paul Jackson. And, right. uh, and then I, towards the end, I love Graham Cook. Oh, my goodness, Graham Cook. He is, and all these people are prophets, okay? And so I found out that I have a gifting of strong prophetic, and I'm a, I'm a seer. And I know this because I read Jim Gall's book, and everything I came across in it happened to me. And I'm going, oh, I must be a seer. Then I heard a prophetic word on tape that told me that I was a seer, but I didn't own it because I didn't wasn't sure. And then when I read this, I was sure. So I have a gifting of seer, okay? And so I really looked at this book, Christian Mystic by John Crowder. And, and I was looking for John Sanford in here because John Sanford said he was a Christian mystic. And I'm looking through there and I find six pages on Lonnie. And they say he's a natural, a natural mystic. And they did six pages on it. So I didn't even know that. So I encourage people to find out what they're, uh, I encourage people, get connected with the Holy Spirit and uh, find out what your calling is so you can study it. You know, God isn't going to give you everything. You got to do your part. Like if you're a baseball player, you got to learn about playing baseball, right? right. So each person fivefold each person um, has an area that are stronger than other areas okay and some people could have all the fivefold giftings like uh, my pastor Mike Hutchins I think he's got fivefold and uh, so it's important to study the area of your gifting and I've had a home group for 30 years and it was a prophetic home group. And it was, I wanted people to get connected to the Holy Spirit. And I wanted people to learn about their gifting, of their calling. And then their gifting in their calling. Okay. Wow. So that, for 30 years, you've been, shall I say, raising and training prophets based on no, your own no, journey and no, what you've learned. No, not raising prophets. No. Okay. Teaching, teaching people how to be prophetic. and. Okay. And what their gifting is. And, and, and if I was teaching people how to be prophets, I feel like I would be in error. Okay. Because? Because I don't, I, I, I think the a prophet, this is just my opinion. I think yeah. a prophet is given the, the gift from God, like, like Paul Cain or, 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 um, John Paul Jackson and John Sanford. Uh, and so if people tell me they're a prophet, I get afraid. <laughs> <laughs> and I, at, at, at the home group, I go to a home group with Ken Slasak and a home group with mine. And we, I tell them that we're a nonprofit organization. <laughs> Wordplay. I like that. <laughs> so I like that. Oh, and my wife is a recovering Lutheran. Okay, well, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of good done by all denominations, but unfortunately, 
denominations kind of have a life cycle and sometimes they hit their peak and they don't always come back to what they once were. Right. And so, and so when Lonnie left Calvary Chapel to go take care of his marriage and went to Florida, when Lonnie left Calvary, I left Calvary and, uh, and, and Chuck, somebody asked Chuck, what are we going to do now that Lonnie left? And, and Chuck says, this is not going to be no Pentecostal church. And then he come up with the word logos. Okay. And Chuck used to always preach second coming always. And their, yep. their music was called Maranatha. The Lord yep. come. Yep. Okay. Yep. So I followed Lonnie to where he would go. You know, he, he got stuck in the shepherding movement, which it was error. And he sent tapes to me on the shepherding movement, and I didn't listen to any of them. I don't know why, but I'm glad I didn't because uh, there were there were good people. It just wasn't a good idea what they were doing. Okay, right. so uh, so um, I never I never went to the tent. So when Lonnie left Calvary, I left Calvary, and then we were at the uh, at the no we were we were at the. Uh, we were at the school where with John Wimber, which it was a Calvary, right? We're at we're a Calvary. And so then Mother's Day, when when John didn't really want to ask the young man, Lonnie Frisbee, to minister, he was afraid of what was going to happen. But God told him, so he did it out of obedience. And so the, the reason Lonnie was so successful is he could hear from God and he was obedient. The reason John was so successful is he could hear from God and he was obedient. And Carol said he didn't always like what God wanted him to do, John. Okay. So Lonnie's there at Mother's Day and John Rutcase telling him, he's there, he's in the gonna, no, he's, Lonnie said, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to do this and do that and make it right. Okay. So he tells this wonderful testimony, blah, blah, blah. You can hear it on YouTube, uh, Mother's Day, 1980. So Lonnie says, uh, 25 and under, come forward. And he says uh, uh, that, um, Oh, the Holy Spirit's been grieved, but he'll get over it. Come Holy Spirit. And somebody from my group was watching. And he says, I don't know what Lonnie's doing, but these it's not going to work. And these kids are all looking around. All of a sudden, power of God came. 400 kids went down. Microphone fell on the well, somebody's mouth, and they were speaking in tongues. So that offended people, older people. They left the church forever. Okay. And then the people that received that power were kids. And in their lives... Um, were changed and it shocked everybody. And John didn't even know if it was God. And uh, so Tom Stipe called at 6.30 and said, John stayed up all night trying to figure out, he was looking up, come Holy Spirit. Okay, and he's trying to figure out if it was God. And so then Tom Stipe called him at 6.30 and says, it was I, okay. So uh, then Chuck Smith, they had a meeting because they were all under the umbrella of Calvary, Calvary Chapel. Uh, yeah, the un- umbrella of Calvary and Chuck Smith. And Ken Gullickson had started two two vineyards, and they were under Ken Gullickson's name. So then uh, Chuck Smith asked John Wember to line up with Vineyard, and he said, okay. And uh, so then later, Ken Gullickson gave his two vineyards to John and that's how John became the leader of the vineyard movement. Okay. That's how I see it and hear it. So then we would go to, then we went to vineyard. And when they got the new building, 
we started going to the, the mothership vineyard. Okay. And then all those things happened. Renewal and Toronto and da 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 da. Paul Kane, we were gonna have the uh, we were gonna have the uh, school of the prophets, okay? And then something happened and it didn't work out. So okay, go ahead. Well, this is all fascinating history. Some of it needs to be told again and again and again because people forget the background of it all. But, you know, it's funny listening to this because what do we want to say? It sounds like an inauspicious beginning to a great move of God. But on the other hand, uh, people assumed that Jesus was a, people don't use the term anymore, but that he was a bastard. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, I mean, that's an inauspicious beginning too. And I think sometimes it's easy for us to despise the day of small or inauspicious beginnings. And yet here we are today talking about all these things. And, you know, th these have become the defining issues that really launched all of these various renewal streams. You, you mentioned several of them. Um, so I'm, I'm good with all of it. I think, I think these stories need to be told. People often want to hear the old stories. I, I have people tell me all the time, we want to hear more about the origins. We want to hear old stories. So this is exactly the kind of thing that we want to bring out and let people know about. But we don't have a lot of time left. Let's switch channels for a moment. Um, we know that Lonnie was uh, sexually abused uh, yes. somewhat violently, actually. Yes. Um, let me ask you this question. With whatever understanding you had as a young boy, did you have any sense that something terrible had happened to him? Do you, do you recall Lonnie beginning to behave differently or uncharacteristically something that was not himself? Or did he cover all of that up and do a good job of hiding it? I didn't notice it. Uh, I was asleep when this stuff was happening and I didn't suspect it. I didn't know about it. I, n nothing. And, and my parents didn't do anything about it. I, I guess back in the day that, some people got in trouble just for mentioning it. They kind of got punished. Yeah. 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 A lot of this stuff was not fit for uh, polite conversation in those right. years. It was very much frowned upon to even bring it up. All right. So there was no indication of that. Roll the clock forward. Lonnie gets married. He's got his wife, Connie. Yes. Uh, we know that marriage ended in divorce and right. he had gone to Florida to try to take care of some of those issues. But do you, I, we're not asking you to air all the dirty laundry, but what essentially went wrong between him and Connie? Well, Lonnie used too much. He spent too much time in the ministry. Him and Debbie Kerner every day would go out to the parks and jails and schools she would play and he would preach and bring people to the Lord. And so Connie kind of, uh, okay, Lonnie spent too much time in the ministry. And then when he got counsel, counsel from Chuck Smith, Chuck told both of them that the only thing that's important is bringing people to the Lord. Yep. So, and so that's, you know, that's, so I think Connie strayed, because of lack of attention. Got it. 
And that's something that I know because I was involved in the uh, Jesus people movement, but it was kind of late in its life cycle. And I was definitely not a key player. I was just a guy who was showing up and attending meetings and observed it. When I saw the movie, there were a number of things that I thought, wow, that looks exactly the way it looked. Or of course they had the scenes that are there at Pirate's Cove and it's still exactly the way it was. Um, so a lot of it was like old home week for me seeing all of that. But one thing I really remember, and I've noticed this with people who live around Orange County, California, who were part of all of that, there was often a very, uh, I don't know what to call it, an imbalanced emphasis on getting everybody saved, which sounds almost contradictory. How could you be too imbalanced? But there are other obligations to life. There are other things that we have to do. We've got bills to pay. We've got children to raise. We've got whatever. Um, you went on and became a fireman. You, you, you did not become one of those evangelists. So that's all you did was evangelize, even though you are an evangelist at heart and you do lead people to the Lord. So when you tell me that Lonnie's marriage broke up because of this misemphasis, do you think it could have been saved if there had been some sort of, I don't know, balance brought in to say, hey, you know, you're married now. You do need to pay attention to your wife also. Yes, I agree. Yes. Well, I think that would happen in all marriages. And, and God created life having to do with balance. Everything has to do with balance. Flowers, building, you know, everything has to have a foundation. And, uh, and so even Connie's life, both Lonnie and Connie's life were, were like in a wreck. Okay. So here's two people that are in a wreck marrying each other. All right. So it would take a lot of nurturing and attention to hold that both together. Yeah, right. And that's one of the problems you have when you get a movement of God with a lot of broken people, um, drug addicted in this case, but that's really a symptom. The brokenness is underneath that. The drugs were a way of coping with the brokenness. Right. Yes. You get a move of God. There's a lot of people who are going to be coming in who are going to need some urgent care, I, uh, spiritually, I, emotionally, relationally. I think there's a lesson in that, don't you? That if we're if we are seeing the leading edge of a big move of God, there's a huge amount of restorative work that's going to be necessary as we bring in the harvest of this generation. I agree. I agree. And so uh, the thing that my home group for 30 years, it was called a mash hospital. And we got wounded soldiers and either they were going to be nurses and doctors at my meeting, nurses and doctors, or the wounded, walking wounded. All right. And so then also the Lord gave us that we were the Joseph company. So those are two titles to my home group. It was uh, uh, MASH Hospital and Joseph Company. And, uh, wow. and, and, so, and so you can't give what you don't have. So you have to get healed up and understand how things are to be able to deal with the people. Right? Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, and I... 
again, I keep thinking about all of this in the context of what's happening right now, because I think that movie that just came out, The Jesus Revolution, it's catalyzing things. And all over the country, things are going off in churches, at university campuses. I talked with John Rutke the other night, and he told me that they, uh, they'd been at Texas A&M. And the meetings had gone until 3.30 in the morning, and there were several hundred kids that were confessing their sins and repenting. And, you know, I mean, we could say kids, maybe I should say young adults, but the bottom line is they're not of our vintage, but they're coming to faith. And, you know, they've got their own form of drugs they're using. They've got their own form of sexual addictions that were common in the 60s, but this is the, this is the 21st century. So we've got some things that people weren't really dealing with there. Revivals are messy in part because the people who are in them who are getting saved are themselves messy. Right. Well, here's something that I tell people that I think I learned it from Graham Cook. God offends your mind to reveal your heart. Mm -hmm. And and that happens a lot. That uh, Spirit-filled situations can split churches and it can split home groups. And then I thought about this some more. Even the cross offended the, the apostles and the people that were Jesus. They were offended. And so that's a pattern of God. He offends your mind to reveal your heart. And the reason the reason the, the, the church is split and the reason that the home group split is because their mind is offended. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Peter had that problem when Jesus told him he was going to go to Jerusalem to die. And he resisted that, even though he was Jesus's close friend and the first disciple who had been called. So that business of the mind and the offense in the mind, it's a big deal. But I, I just think this needs to be emphasized so strongly because it really does look like this is the leading edge of this huge revival that everyone's been prophesying for a generation. I agree. We first heard about the Joel's army, the billion soul harvest and all of that in 1988 from Paul Kane, right? Bob Jones. And it's been 35 years this year. Um, you could argue 30 years as a generation, but you know, the number people tend to fixate on is the children of Israel in the wilderness at 40 years. So we may have five years of some sort of ongoing whatever leading up to this, but a lot of the people who are going to come in are going to be very, they're going to be very messy people and God's calling us to love them and help rebuild them. And if we get things out of balance, we could end up with more stories like Lonnie and Connie. And right. I don't think that's part of God. Right. Here, here's something that I wonder. Okay, Greg. Okay. Uh, Graham, uh, Billy Graham, Greg Laurie. I think uh, Greg Laurie is like a Billy Graham, but for this generation. And yeah. they get saved, but they don't necessarily end up with Holy Spirit. And that concerns me. I, I feel like uh, because when you have only word, you only have half. And, and Jesus told us we need to receive the Holy Spirit our helper. And so people that function just with the word, they actually attack uh, the spirit people and they think they're right. Yeah. 
So there needs to be a balance both ways. Okay. And, uh, and so I really want people to receive Holy Spirit. It's important. Yeah. Amen. Totally agree with that. Well, let's talk about a couple of other things before we uh, get to the end of this time that we have. Um, Solani leaves Calvary Chapel at one point, and later he leaves Vineyard. Right. Uh, and Lonnie goes off, and he, he leads a number of people to the Lord and has whole movements in South Africa and Brazil. Right. Yes. Uh, that story is, has been grossly undertold. There are some I, people around who know about it, but but for the most part, it's not been told much. As all of that was unfolding, did you ever travel with him? Do you have any recollections of any of that, or do you have any stories to tell? So I, I got to travel a, a little bit with him. Uh, I got to go to Colorado to a vineyard, uh, Tom Stife's church, and Lonnie yep. ministered. And Lonnie would tell the, his team that they all had to be ready for, for pulpit time. And then me being his brother, I always knew I was going to get pulpit time because he wanted to train me up. Okay. So that's, that's what Lonnie did with his people. And we, we had a wonderful trip to uh, uh, Colorado. And then uh, we went to some other place. I, I forget some of the things, but uh, we did go to some more meetings. I, I would see the each place we went, we'd see the power of God. You know, there was not never a time. So I want to say this, that people are trying to say that Lonnie did it for his own glory. And I never saw that. And when we saw when Lonnie did the meeting at Colorado, when it's a really, really good meeting, he went out to the back and got on his knees and gave it up to God. And so he wasn't doing that to impress anybody. Nobody was looking and I got to see it. OK, so I knew that Lonnie always did it towards the Lord, not for Lonnie. Okay. That's a, that's a very good insight. I, in the movie, they show him at one point sitting by himself alone and he's praying and he says, Oh God, please use me. Please just show up. And um, I, I know when I traveled with him during that interval of my life, um, he seemed very earnest about, wanting the Lord to receive the glory. And he was painfully aware he couldn't do any of the things that he is attributed with. And so he was utterly dependent on the Lord. And that was reflected in the kinds of prayers that he prayed. Yes, I agree. How did you process it when your brother died? I mean, first of all, it would have been a shock to know that he died of AIDS, but just right. losing your brother. And it, this year, it's been 30 years since he died. What what did that do to your world? How did you, I mean, I don't even really know how to ask the question. That's, it, it must have, it, your world must have come apart on some level. Yeah. Well, I figured he was going to die because we watched the whole process. And uh, there was closure at his, at his bed. He made uh, God help bring things together when Lonnie's dying and whoever uh, John Wimber paid for the for Lonnie to have a place in Newport Beach to be there until he died, and so um, uh, yeah, there was uh, returning the hearts to the fathers and the fathers to the son that happened. So forgiveness for all the different spiritual fathers, 
and forgiveness for the natural fathers. And Lonnie, what? Oh, yeah. Lonnie had bitterness for years and he suffered from it. Yes, and, he did. Uh, and uh, Rich Bueller tried to help him. And Lonnie said that if he would have lived on, that he would have been on the road with Rich Bueller doing restoration. Okay. That's what he felt like he would have been doing. All right. And uh, so I got to see the closures and I got whoever came to see Lonnie got really blessed by the Holy Spirit. Okay. And uh, I got to be, I have an assignment with uh, Maureen Gore to be with Lonnie until he died. Okay. And uh, so I had work, I had God work to do. And that was to be there with Lonnie until he died. Okay. So I did my part. Maureen did her part. And, uh, and her son was there, uh, James. And uh, so Maureen Gore was giving $1,000 a month for Lonnie's ministry. And then the Lord told her, I think he said, sell your car. But she quit her job and dedicated Lonnie for two years until he died. Okay. She, wow. she was his nurse. And she was a, cat, a, a spirit-filled Catholic. Okay. And, uh, and so... When Lonnie died, I just felt like, uh, okay, it was God. Okay, I didn't feel, I wasn't mad at God. Uh, I knew, that I'm like a realist, okay? So he died, and it was sad, and uh, but just have to get on down the road and, and do our part. And, and the things that I learned from Lonnie and the things I learned from God – and, and, and John Wimber says, more is caught than taught. Right. Goes, so I caught a lot of stuff. Okay. So I knew it was God's timing. If it wasn't God, Lonnie would still be alive. Okay. So uh, I was sad, but I just got on down the road and, uh, and, and, and deal with it. And spoke the truth about Lonnie. And, uh, and it helped me having a home group because it gave me something to do. And I really believe in home groups, okay? We, Daryl Bowman's. So all the really spiritual people, out of Daryl Bowman's home group, leaders, leaders, leaders. We, he, he birthed home group leaders. And we had Jill Austin there. And we had tons of people there. Greg Burson, a prophet. So at that home group, we learned a lot. And Lonnie would go there. Lonnie would talk with Daryl. He would have long talks with Daryl. You see, he needed somebody sensitive. Lonnie needed somebody sensitive that he could trust that he could talk to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right. So it's 30 years later. You're carrying on. I wouldn't say you're carrying on Lonnie's legacy, but you carry him in your heart. Sure. And you have your own journey that you're on. Um, again, you had a, you had a career in firefighting versus his career as an evangelist right. slash prophet. Um, John Wimber always used to say, everyone gets to play. That's right. And you have gotten to play. It, it looks right. different, but it's, it's not, I wouldn't say better or worse. It, it's maybe less flamboyant. But That's true. It, yeah. It's not necessarily better or worse. Um, talk to us a little bit about this idea of everybody gets to play, because I think this is, okay. I think this is really 
a critical thing um, as we move forward in this move of God. Okay, so I try to get people to figure out their gifting, okay? So uh, everybody gets a place. So once you become a Christian, you have something to do, you know? You, you partake, partake in milk as a baby Christian, and then you get into meat, okay? And meat is deep, deep, call it the deep, and iron sharpens iron. So you start out with baby steps with your calling, and you tell people about Jesus and you and one thing that uh, happens with Christians, the ones that really get sold out have a light on them. And John would call them shiny people. OK, and being prophetic, you can go into a room and pick them out right away. Boom, boom, boom. And those are the ones I want to pray for first, because they're going to be the hot coals that are going to help other people learn. OK. And so, um, yeah, in a home group, you all get to practice. So even I played ping pong for 40 years. Ping pong was uh, tables in all the fire stations. So my uh, addiction is ping pong, <laughs> table tennis, <laughs> table tennis. And so you, know, you could be addicted to something, Stan. I think that's probably a pretty good one. I think so, too. And so. Uh, let me see. So, uh, so anyway, I love to talk to people about Jesus, but also I like to talk to people just to find out where they're at. In the '60s, the term was "What's your bag?" and that means where are you coming from. Okay. Yeah. And so, when I meet people, I want to know who they are and where they're coming from. And then, when there's an opening for Jesus or or spiritual, then I talk to them about that. But first, I want to get to know them as a person. All right. And uh, and so, I believe in going to church because that's where you meet people, and you can establish a home group out of that. And then invite people to the home group and they get mature and they go off and maybe do a home group or become a pastor or um, but but and we pray for uh, divine appointments. That's meeting special people at special times. And uh, so when you when you develop your gifting, then you can see more about what God is doing. OK, right. And, and so God hides things. There's a, a, a thing in uh, John Sanford's book called dark speech and so dark speech isn't about the devil it's about god hides things and it's our it's our glory to find the gold and what god is saying extract the precious from the vile and uh and so when you when you learn about your gifting you can hone in what god is giving you like an artist you can do paintings and pictures like a wrestler, you can learn moves. Like a ping pong, you can learn about equipment and how to do it. But so there's always more uh, in the Christian walk than just when you begin and love Jesus. Okay. And so you need to develop areas of your gifting so you can use it and share it. Okay. And, uh, and so it isn't just becoming a Christian and walking and being good and don't sin. It's like becoming a Christian and find out your gifting so that you can function in it. Okay. And you can compare it to the natural and, uh, and work people having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Yeah. Well, 
amen to all of that. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm a firm believer in lifelong growth in our spirituality. Many times people stagnate and die. You sat for 25 years in a Lutheran church, uh, kind of like a bump on a log. Yeah. Um, but people who are moving forward with the Lord, they're always growing somehow. They're reading the Bible. They're reading a book. They're going to a seminar. They're, nowadays, it might be a webinar. But anyway, they're doing something to fuel all of that and to grow more. And I loved what you said about developing your gifts so you can uh, serve others and give it away. Yeah. Well, Stan, this has been a great uh, interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and give us reflections on your own life, not just your brother's. Um, but also some of the lessons you've learned along the way. It's, uh, it's been a long journey, and uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have known you, uh, by the way, independent of Lonnie, just to have known you for you uh, through the years. I'm very grateful for that. Grant, do you have anything you want to add before we close? Well, uh, oh, no, he's asking somebody else. Oh, uh, that's okay. If you have something you want to add, Stan, that's okay, too. <laughs> uh, let me see. Uh, I was, yeah, thank you. There was something else I was going to say, but it went away. So um, I, I think we did it. Okay. All right. Great. Well, we can always have another podcast if we need to. So if you think of stuff that you, you'd like to share, you know where to reach me. Just let me know and, you know, we'll set up another one and we'll do okay. a part two. Well, one thing I wanted to say about Calvary and Vineyard, both of those wanted to be non-denominational and so they didn't want to be in a denomination so that the pattern they developed became a denomination mm -hmm. <laughs> so i thought it was interesting both groups of people did not want to be a denomination so that's it i think anytime people have something special happen to them now, in this case, we're talking about something very unusual, a spiritual awakening, encounters with God. But I think anytime people have anything special happen to them, they want to capture it. They want to memorialize it. Yeah. This is why we have cameras. This is why we have recording devices. People want to capture those moments. And I think it is often the case with religious movements, they start out as something with a lot of fire, a yes. lot of passion, the moving of the spirit. But most of the denominations of, of the world, I mean, you we can go back to the Lutherans, but it could be the Baptists, it could be the Presbyterians, it could be the Methodists. All of those movements, all of those denominations emerge from something that happened first to a leader, but then to a group of people who were involved in all of that. And after a while, they didn't, they didn't want to lose it. They tried to capture it. It crystallizes. It doesn't necessarily need to be a death knell, but unfortunately, it often does become that. Yeah. Another thing I was thinking about is this. <clears throat> you take somebody like Paul Kane or, or Bob Jones or Lonnie. They do things with God. Very, 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 very special. And then they mess up. Okay. So you don't want to lose all the special things they did in the Lord, William Branham, all the things they did with the Lord because they messed up. Yeah, and, yeah throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
And right. I think people, they see the bad stuff at the end, and then they don't want to take the good stuff at the beginning, which they need to. That's where yeah. we have to have our discernment, right? Amen. Okay. So true. <laughs> so true. All right. Well, Grant, anything to add? No, I so appreciate this. I was texting my wife all of the one-liners that I heard Stan say uh, throughout this thing. It's, it's been an amazing thing. And I do hope you'll come back, uh, Stan, and, and join us again. I was wondering if uh, if maybe we could get you to pray uh, yes. as as we leave here, if you okay. can pray over, over us and over the people that are listening. Yes. But let me say one more thing. We want people to buy Lonnie books, and we recommend it. Uh, there were... Lonnie talked into her tape recording. And so when you read the book, it's like talking to Lonnie. Okay. So there's three of them and one of them is dedicated to set free. And then this book right here, quest for the radical middle explains what happened between Calvary and vineyard. And it's very accurate. Okay. So if you have questions about that, buy this book and it's written by, uh, uh, Bill Jackson. And he's gone. He was the founding pastor of the vineyard in Indianapolis, uh, Indiana. And uh, he unfortunately passed away around five or six years ago. I don't remember the exact year, but something like that um, of kidney cancer. And I prayed with him several times, obviously to no avail. Uh, but Bill was a very good brother, a good friend. And um uh, well, he's gone on to his reward, but we'll look forward to seeing him in heaven. Yes. Well, he was accurate in what he wrote, yep. wrote in that book. He was accurate. So, all right. So I'll pray. Okay. 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 Grant is your name, Grant. Okay. Lord, I pray for Ken Fish and his ministry and Grant. I just pray uh, abundance. I pray for wisdom on uh, making decisions. I pray for clarity. I pray for breakthroughs. I pray for personal breakthroughs. I pray for a continuation of what God's doing in your life. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thank you for uh, doing this. I, I, I thank Ken Fish for the sensitivity that he has. You know, he's, you walk with a sensitivity. And, uh, and, and, and I bless that. And uh, um, thank you for all that we did. And I pray for uh, mercy and uh, wisdom and, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and clarity in your decision-making in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, everybody, so this is Stan Frisbee. He's the, uh, the brother of Lonnie Frisbee, who's in the movies. But as you can see, he's a man to be reckoned with on his own. Uh, he is a man unto himself, and I am fortunate to have him as a friend and have had for many years. Stan, thanks for being on the show. You're, you're welcome. One more thing about Lonnie. <laughs> oh, yeah. he, was my, he was my younger brother, but he's my spiritual father. How about that? How about that? Wow. Okay, that's it. And, and Paul came take some it. humility to, to, to be in that kind of a role because oftentimes the big brother wants to kind of rule the roost. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was God, you know, it, 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 to say anything else would be in error because that's how I feel. That's how it was. 
And Lonnie did his part for me, prayed me in, taught me, brought me along. He even held me up with people, held me up in a meeting up high. So Lonnie did his part for me, okay? So now I'm carrying on my part. I don't have to be Lonnie. And everybody gets to be who they are. They don't, Willie mm -hmm. Nelson's sons don't have to be Willie Nelson. They need, every person needs to be who they are and how God made them. Okay? Amen. That's a really good word. And I think that would be very liberating for a lot of people because it's so easy to focus on those who are somehow idealized, maybe idolized. Yeah. And uh, think that we must be like them. And I think all of us go through phases of life where we, we have to somehow shed all of that. And it's not always an easy process. Right. Be who, be who God made you to be. That's right. Exactly. All right. Well, Grant, you want to close us out? Yep. Thank you so much, Stan. And thank you, thank you Ken. And thank you all for, uh, for tuning in and listening to us. We'll be right back here next week. Uh, same bad time, same bad channel for another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. We've recently updated the Orbis Ministries app with Ken's free teaching archive. You can click on the link in the description of this podcast to download today.